a call, as the song said, you've called us by name. Our labor is not in vain because you indeed are with us, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that you would make us aware of your withness, of your presence here and now. Meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Some of us in the valley. Some of us have had weeks of dysfunction and fighting and depression and you name it. Others have had great weeks full of rejoicing and blessings. So I pray that you would meet each one of us this morning where we're at and lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We pray these things in the strong, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome again to Park Community Church. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I'm looking forward to meeting you at some point. Brooke, thanks for reminding us about next week. If you, don't, if you show up at 10 o'clock, you won't be judged, but you'll be out of place. So again, remember that. Come at either 9 or 1045 next week. And over the last... So what we're doing... Tomorrow, next Sunday, we're going to jump back into Hebrews, and we're going to spend a few weeks finishing up the book of Hebrews. But in the month of August, and now it's carried over to September 2nd, which is today, we've been looking at what God is calling us as a church to step out into. Matt, our pastoral resident who we're sending out in hopefully a few weeks or months, that's to be determined still as we follow God's leading, we are sending him out to help revitalize another church, and he preached on discipleship a few weeks ago. And then last week, John Stromberg, who's going out with Matt, came and preached on the emotional pain of sending. And, and I thought that was so great. He tied in that we are sending new global partners around the world. We're sending people to Africa and to Guatemala, and we have different global partners that we've been partnered with for years, who, some who are here now, and we have a chance to connect with them, and then others who are around the world. We are a people called to send. We're sending Matt out to another church, and we're we are sending, every one of us is sent out into the world to be a neighbor and witness. And so what I want to do today is just kind of tie all that together. Before we go back into Hebrews next Sunday, I want to just pause and tie all that together and talk about why we exist. The mission of Park Community Church is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. Those of you who are visiting Park Community Church, those of you who have been here for a little while and you're trying to decide whether or not you would make this church your church home, those of you who have been here forever and you may forget why we do what we do, this is why we do what we do as a church body. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, Matt preached on this theme of discipleship, and he, he did a great job. So if you want a better definition of discipleship, go back and listen to that sermon from two weeks ago. But essentially, it means follower. He said it means to be an apprentice. So as a church, we exist to create apprentices of Jesus. We need to be disciples. That means we need to be transformed into the image and likeness of disciples and then make more disciples. That's the commission that Jesus gave here in Matthew chapter 28, which I just read, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's Jesus' commission to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I am with you. We need to remember that promise. But this is our mission, to be and make disciples. 
And so I wanted to just pause this morning and talk about a few ways that we do that. I, I want to take kind of an overarching look at Scripture, at the Gospels, and see what Jesus himself, if we are to be and make disciples of Jesus, what does Jesus tell us a disciple is and a disciple does? What does it look like to actually be a follower of Jesus? Not just the church attender, not just the person meaning well, but actually a follower of Jesus Christ. And so before we go, I want you to just think for think about yourself for a second. Would people describe you as a follower of Jesus? Not a Christian. I think the term Christian in our culture gets watered down, right? With politics and certain church attendance and certain conformity to things that may or not be biblical. Would people define you as a follower or an apprentice of Jesus? Think about that for yourself. As we go through this sermon this morning. We're going to look at a lot of scripture, so hang on, hold, hang on with me and try to keep up with me. They'll be, on the, they'll be on the screen here. I prefer preaching just a chunk of scripture, but today I want to do an overview and look at multiple passages to kind of get this idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So here's what we're going to start with. To be and make disciples of Jesus, we must, number one, leave something to follow someone. Leave something to follow someone. And we see that here. I preached about this a few weeks ago, so we're not going to spend a ton of time here. But this gives us a basis for discipleship, a basis for what it means to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22 says, While they were by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simeon, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is the initial step of becoming a disciple or a follower of Jesus. It means leaving something to follow someone. A few weeks ago we talked about this and I asked, what boat or booth do you need to step out of to more intentionally follow Jesus? Jesus called Peter and James and John to leave their boat to follow him, and then later on he calls Matthew or Levi out of his tax booth to come and follow him. Then here, later on in the scriptures, in the Gospels, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, on page 867, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, he says, if anyone would, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The initial step of discipleship is to leave something to follow someone. That someone is Jesus and only Jesus. I think sometimes we, we cling on to things, do we not? I mean, something, you fill in what that is. That, might, that may be an ideology. That may be a theology. We're not called to follow a particular theological alignment. We are called to follow the person of Jesus Christ. We're not called to follow a political ideology and system of thought. We are called to follow the person of Jesus Christ. We are not called to follow God's provisions in our life. We're not called to follow the people that God has put in our life outside of following them to the person of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about discipleship, what does it mean to be and make a disciple? It means we have to leave something in order to follow someone, and that someone is the one man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one worth following. And so, church, let me ask you, what are some of the things that you are following before Christ, or maybe that you, in your weak moments, you elevate to the place of Christ? They're idols. 
They're things that you put your trust in, which don't come through, which don't provide, which don't guarantee the abundant life that Jesus has promised us. This is the initial step of discipleship, but it's also the daily step of discipleship. Like it says in Luke chapter 9 there, if if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Saying a prayer one time to accept Jesus into your heart and become a Christian doesn't mean that you're a disciple. Doesn't mean that you daily follow him. Church, Jesus is calling us to a daily apprenticeship, a daily following, a daily surrendering of our idols. I encourage you to assess your life. What are the things that you're grabbing onto? What are the things that you hold with clenched fists? Have you taken the time to open up your hands to release it? So that you're not following things or ideologies or theologies, but you're following a man, Jesus, the Christ. The next one that we see as we look at the big picture of Scripture, this stopped working. Oh, there we go. All right, so leave someone, leave something to follow someone. The next theme, eighth, another theme that we see in Scripture, and this isn't sequential, this isn't exhaustive. We could come up with a list of 70 different things, but these are things that have been on my heart recently as I've been reading through the Gospels and that I think are good and instructive for our church in this season. The next one is to move from accumulation to distribution. Move from accumulation to distribution. Look at what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, are you acquiring and accumulating things for yourself? Or are you distributing whatever God has given you for his gospel's sake? for the good of others, for the good of those around you? Are, you? are you trusting what you can accumulate, what you can acquire, and what you can hold on to, and what you can wrap your arms around? Or, as God blesses you, do you see that he has blessed you in order to be a blessing, that you can give things away, that you can distribute things? Some of you are probably thinking, well, I would love to be that kind of person who gives things away and doesn't accumulate. I'm not even accumulating anything, so therefore I can't give anything, right? My income or my income isn't high enough to outweigh my debts, and so therefore nothing's accumulating. It's all being distributed, but it's being distributed back to the bills that I owe. And you may be thinking, once I get this debt paid off or this loan paid off or once I get this career job advancement or this income increase, then I can start distributing and giving away. But I want you to know, friends, that this doesn't kick in. This attitude of moving from accumulation to distribution, that doesn't kick in with how much money you make. It's a heart posture towards the Lord of saying, whatever you give me, I'm going to hold with open hands, and you can take it, God, as you choose. I want to give it to whoever needs it more than I do. Look at how Jesus teaches us this using the example of a poor widow. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, on page 880. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. 
And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Church, what are you holding on to that you ought to be giving away? What are you acquiring? What are you accumulating? That if you took time to stop and process and think and pray and open your eyes and look around you, that God might say, that's not for you, that's for them. That's for them, that's for this person, that's for this country, that's for this ministry. Are you accumulating or are you distributing? Are you a clearinghouse for the things of God? Third one, as we move through the Gospels and look at kind of a big picture of discipleship. These are shifts that we need to make to more intentionally follow Jesus. We must move from information to transformation. Move from information to transformation. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus here is saying, blessed is everyone who hears my word and does it. In order to be a disciple, in order to be an apprentice or a follower of Jesus, we need to hear his word and do it. Hear his word and do it. Church, for many years, especially in, in American culture, churches have been really good at doing Bible studies, gathering together to talk about the Bible, and then doing projects together. Like, let's get our hands dirty and do something. But many churches across America haven't begun to obey the harder commands of forgiveness, of living life together, of sharing their resources with one another. And here Jesus is saying, those who hear my word and do it are the ones who are my followers. The world will know that we are apprentices of Jesus, not if we have more Bible studies where we talk about what it theoretically would look like to follow Jesus, but when we start just simply doing what Jesus calls us to do. When we simply step out in faith and follow him. Are we moving from information to transformation? When we gather on a Sunday, one of my biggest fears is that you would hear us talk, whoever happens to be preaching that week, that you would put your eyes on Scripture or that you would get into community groups and do a Bible study together or that you in your own private devotional life and time would spend time reading through God's Word, getting a picture of what He wants you to do. You close the book, you walk away, and you do what your flesh responds with you doing. Church, are we moving from information? Is the information, are the things that we're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ transforming our hearts and our hands and actually changing the way that we live? For many of you, this is true. 
I see this happening over and over again in our church. I'm blown away with the amount of transformation that I see. Praise God. Praise God. But in order to be and make disciples, we need to continue moving in that direction. We need to continue taking what we've learned, taking what we've been taught, and applying it to our lives and putting it into practice. The next one, and this is an act of obedience here. This is something that we have to be transformed to be able to do. The next one is to live to be sent rather than to be safe. In order to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to live our lives as those who are sent into the world rather than those who are trying to protect and keep things safe. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, 35 through 38. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We live as those who are sent. There's a ripe harvest around us in St. Louis Park, in the Twin Cities Metro, around the world. And Jesus has said the disciples, the followers, are those who go out. Matthew 10, 16, he says, Behold, I send you out, my disciples, my followers, I send you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Church, do you, do you live and do you think through what does it look like for me to be sent out as a neighbor and witness? Or do you think through how can I protect my life? How can I keep my investment safe? How can I keep my kids safe? How can I shelter my kids? Maybe you grew up in a home where you were sheltered from the big bad world and you're still trying to recover from that. I know some of you, that's the case. Maybe some of you young parents like myself, you're thinking through, can I really send my kid out into the world where, where they're going to be taught a bunch of garbage? Now, every parent has different parenting decisions to make for their kid. We need, to, we need to protect our children, but not solely protect them. More so than protecting them, we need to prepare them for the world. And for each one of us, we need to be thinking through that. Do we, do we try and protect ourselves? Do we try and protect our comforts? Do we try and protect our ideals? Or are we living as people who are sent who are sent into the world, who are sent to be a light in the darkness, who are sent to be salt among the earth. I love what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise and innocent. He's not calling us to foolish faith. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that my, my, my response... This is Andrew without the transformation of the Holy Spirit. I have two ways that I usually respond to things. I, I tend towards foolish faith where I'm like, forget it all, let's give it all away. I don't want to spend any time thinking about it. I don't want to look at a budget. I'm thinking about, um, I, I'm, I'll just be honest with you now. I'm thinking about it, the church budget, okay? So I'm one of the church leaders, so I look at the church budget and we try to figure out, okay, God's given us this much. Here's our bills. How do we steward well what God has given us? I have two ways that I look at that when I'm not abiding in Christ. One is foolish faith. I'm actually sometimes inclined to say, any excess that we have, let's just give it all away and worry about how to pay our bills later. Because God is faithful, God is good, God is glorious, and he'll backfill us, right? That can be foolish, because God has called us to be wise. Wise as serpents, to think through, what's a strategic way to use our resources to further the kingdom? In my flesh, I, so that's my foolish side of faith. And then, then in my fleshly faith, right, 
faith in quotes here because it's not actually faith in God. In my flesh, I say, well, let's keep all of our excess because you never know what's going to happen. What if attendance drops? What if giving drops? And then what if we can't pay our bills as a church? And so I, Andrew, the way that I'm wired without the transformation of the Holy Spirit is to just foolishly say, let's give it all away, let's get down to zero and then trust God to build it back up. Or let's hold on to all of it, let's keep it all so that we have a safety net. And yet God is telling us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so is there a wise way for us individually or for us as a church to use our finances for the glory of God? Is there a wise way for you to parent your children, to send them into the world as, as salt and light, while also not throwing them into the deep end of the pool, expecting them to figure out how to swim themselves? Innocent as doves, pure hearts, hearts that are transformed by the Lord, that, that want to see our finances spread out and given away for the advancement of the gospel. And Jesus tells us in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We ought to live to be sent out with the godly faith, faith that is wise and faith that is innocent. As Jesus says, so God sent me, Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth to walk among us. As God sent Jesus into a dark, cold, confusing place and culture, so Jesus is sending us out out of the comfortable walls of the church, into a world that is dark, hurting, and confused. As Jesus left his comfort and glory on high to walk among us, so, church, we are sent into the world to walk among those who don't yet know Jesus as neighbors and witnesses. And then lastly, exchange condemnation for salvation. John 3.16, very familiar verse, but we have to keep reading on page 888. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Church, if we want to be and make disciples of Jesus... We need to exchange condemnation for salvation. This is the glorious truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to set us free. He did not come into the world to condemn it, but in order to save it. And many Christians walk around beating themselves up, feeling as though they're condemned for their sin. If you are in Christ, there is no longer no condemnation for you. Romans 8.1 teaches us that. Jesus himself from his own mouth teaches us here that he came not to condemn us, but to save us. If, if we want to fulfill our mission to be and make disciples, church, we need to remember our identity in Christ. This is the key to everything that would fall in place. And again, we can make a list of 70 things like this that we need to shift from this thinking to that thinking, this thinking to that thinking. But number five, exchange condemnation for salvation is the key to all of it. Without understanding who we are in Jesus, we will continually be led back to our idols. We will continually grab onto things. We will continually try and keep things. We will continually want more information without ever practicing what we know. We will continually want to be safe and secure. But when we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, when we exchange the condemnation that we feel 
from our sin before we meet Jesus Christ, for the salvation that he gives us, everything changes. That's the basis of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You've stepped out of your boat. You've stepped out from behind your tax booth. You are following him, and you are believing what he has said about you, that no longer are you condemned because of your sin, but you have received salvation. This is how we make disciples, by clinging on to the identity that Jesus has given us, by trusting that he's welcomed us into his family, we have access to him as sons and daughters. By living life in community as brothers and sisters where, where we can remind one another of the gospel. When I counsel people in the church who are dealing with sin, you know what I often try and do? I just try and remind them of who they are in Christ. Because people come into my office and they're beating themselves up because of their sin. You know what I want to remind you, church? Jesus took the punishment for your sin. He did not come to condemn you. He came to set you free. In John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's condemnation thinking. And John 10.10 goes on, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come to give them life, that they may have it abundantly. And so church, to be disciples, followers of Jesus, who make disciples more followers of Jesus, would you cling to your identity that you're not condemned in Jesus Christ? You're set free. You've been saved. You were bought with a price. The guilt and shame has been paid for and dealt with. You have new life. That's my heart and hope for our church, that as we press ahead into the future, as we go back to two services, as we scatter out of here and you all have personal connections with relational spheres of influence, as you go to work, as you go home, as you spend time with your extended family, would your face show, would your heart show, would your attitudes show that you're no longer condemned but that you are set free, church? Disciples, followers of Jesus are free. They've been set free from the power of sin. They've been set free from the penalty of sin. They've been set free from the condemnation of sin. So church, as we press ahead in the future, let's exchange the condemnation that we feel for the salvation that God has freely brought us. Let me pray, and then we'll transition to communion. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to receive what is good and right and true from you. For you are the one, Jesus, who said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the salvation that you brought to us. I pray that we would live in light of it, I pray that we would make the shift from condemnation to salvation, that those of us who are in you wouldn't continually beat ourselves up for things that have already been forgiven and done away with. I pray that we would embrace the great salvation that you've given us, that we would walk in the light of the truth. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your kingdom in our relational spheres of influence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.